I want people to feel curious. I think that's the driving invitation I want my home to give to people like, wow, I didn't know this about you or tell me about this piece of art or piece of furniture or what were the kids doing in here? And then I want them to feel curious about themselves of how do I live and how do I want to show up for myself and what do I want on my wall? Because obviously the things on my wall they couldn't take off and put into their home, it doesn't mean anything to them. Most of us have an idea of what our homes should look like, but sometimes reality doesn't quite match up. My guest today specializes in helping families find that balance between beauty and function. Carly Thornock teaches her clients a process called the intentional house cycle, where she combines her background in family and human development with a love for all things home. Today, Carly is sharing her tips to calm the chaos at your house, Plus, she's telling us all about a unique adventure her own family is taking by building a new home quite literally in the middle of nowhere. Welcome to Heart of the Home, a podcast exploring the personal histories that inspire our surroundings, candid conversations about the stories behind the pretty pictures, tales of design and renovations gone wrong and right, because a home isn't just a structure filled with themes, it's the people who live there. So join me as we explore the unique stories that help each of us find our way home. Carly, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. You were saying when you walked in, oh, this area where I live is so reminiscent for you because your grandparents used to live up here. They live like three houses away. Well, they <laughs> did for my whole growing up childhood. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lovely area. We really love it here. It's a beautiful place. Tons of memories for me, at least. I'm sure for you, you guys have lived here a while, but it's just magic. Yeah. There is something about being up against the mountain and seeing the valley below. And, you know, it kind of spoke to us when we looked for somewhere to live, which is why we're staying in the same area with our new house. We're not going far yes. at all. Um, okay, so you describe yourself as a house coach. What is that? House coach. So it's half family researcher, half interior designer. But this is what I do is all about helping people understand their brains and why they think the way they do about their houses and how your house can actually be a huge catalyst to family connection if you can approach it the right way. And if we don't approach it intentionally, our default sometimes resorts to chaos or conflict about our houses, about the things that we own or about the way we use our spaces. Uh, so it's my mission to help all moms just embrace the calm and feel like they have control over their own minds about their house. And from there, we can create really beautiful things that are meaningful and also stick. Yeah, because as a fellow parent of young children, chaos can sometimes <laughs> take over, right? What's the most common complaint that you hear from mothers? Oh, moms always tell me, I don't know how I can have nice things and kids at the same time. Why would I buy something that I really like that costs money when it's just going to be destroyed in 0.3 seconds? Yeah. And what's your response? Uh, you don't do it to keep things undestroyed. The purpose of a couch is not to look at, it's to use. And I say to love your people, to really form a good connection with your family members and yourself and the universe at large with God and the people that you care about. So for choosing sofas for that purpose, any sofa will work. And then it just becomes, do I want to connect with my family on an old sofa or on a new sofa? And it's less about uh, preserving a product, so to speak. 
That's an interesting uh, viewpoint when it comes to selecting furnishings. Let's talk about your background in your childhood. What kind of home did you grow up in? Our house was cute and mid-sized and uh, it wasn't super fancy. My grandmother's house was a little bit more fancy. And my mom, I had three younger brothers. So I think she was like, this is a working house. We're just going to play a lot here. She, she was less uh, interested in interior design just as a hobby, right? So uh, our house was great and full of love and full of fun, but it was less like a museum or less put together, more less aesthetic, I would probably say, but always nice, clean. What made you think this is what I want to do? I want to help people find, marry this balance of beauty and function and uh, calm the chaos in their lives. Mm, that's such a good question. So from a young age, I just loved the beauty of furniture and putting things together and the dollhouses and all the ways that space works like a big puzzle. Uh, and so I was fully intending to do architecture and interior design all out when I got to college. But when I got to BYU where I went to school, there was no interior design program. So I found myself in a family science major and I found myself loving it. I loved learning about how family processes work. I loved how ch children develop. Uh, I loved the uh, intention you can create just within your own self and then carry over into your meaningful relationships. So I got my master's degree in marriage and family and found myself wanting to study like we, we surround ourselves with these houses. We are in our homes so often and we've studied hospitals. We've studied schools. We've studied prisons. We've studied nature. But why have we not studied how the house impacts family relationships? So to me, it's a combination of this beauty factor. I just really love creating visual storytelling and comfortable spaces, things that invite. Uh, but I also recognize you don't need that in order to have healthy family relationships. Like what's, what's the balance? So that's been my curiosity <laughs> and that's why I'm here. Yeah. And I feel like we've, we've struck some gold in that we can use our environment as invitations, but we can't depend on our environment for our happiness. Yeah. I always tell people that when you're home, when you put the focus and the priority on your home, it changes the way you live, right? When you live in a home that is not just beautiful, but also super functional and, you know, suits all your needs and speaks to who you are, that it completely changes your day-to-day -day life. Do you feel that way as well? Oh, absolutely. Sometimes if we don't think about it that way, if we just think about our houses are for show and for pretty, then we're just babysitting all of our stuff and trying to get all things done, tiptoeing around these, these perceived to-do list we've created for ourselves. But you're exactly right. When we align function with intention, with preference, with beauty, oh, it's amazing. So how do you do that? You were saying you have three little boys. Boys are something I don't know much <laughs> about, but I often, when I'm around a family of all boys, I'm just like, what? My mind is like blown, right? Because I mean, girls can be crazy and emotional and wild, but they're not like catapulting themselves off of sofas <laughs> to see how far they can make it in a room, you know, oh, like yes. boys are. So how have you balanced that within your own home? That's such a good question. And so true. There's so much catapulting that happens <laughs> in my house. And, and some of my friends who only have girls come over and they're like, how much blood do you deal with on a daily basis? Yes. How many band-aids do you actually use? And it's like boxes and boxes. Every day we are kind of <laughs> made up. Uh, but my house has to work for me for the catapulting. So I don't buy sofas that aren't really well made, that don't have a great warranty. Because I want to show up for my kids and I want to facilitate that for them. Of course, I want them to learn respect and responsibility and 
proper care of people's sofas. You know, I don't want them to be 25 going into somebody's house catapulting off their sofa necessarily. (laughs) But also they're eight and six and four. And so to try to get them to not do that is a losing battle. And I want to love them while I teach them that over the next 10 years. In order for me to show up as my best self in that frame of mind, I need a sofa I'm not going to worry about. Yeah. Your your kids are almost exactly the same ages as mine. I have nine, six, and four. Um, I have also kind of figured out, I don't know if this works with boys, but this has worked with my girls, is that you know, we we have nice things and we have areas that are designated play areas, right? Where they know that if they're in the basement family room, that they can kind of be a little bit wilder and crazier and it's it's fine. They aren't precious things, right? But we have rooms where there are special things, like there are special books or there are, you know, a table that has meaning behind it. And so I've learned that if I explain to them why this is something special and why we want to keep it safe. They're really curious about it for a while, right? And they still are sometimes like they want to go up and look at it and touch (laughs) it and they like can't stop themselves from touching it. But after a while, they kind of just maybe resign themselves to the fact that this isn't a place that's designated to play, right? And so there is a little bit of reverence when they go in a space like that. They're not going to be you know, sometimes I find them playing in there, which is totally fine, but they're not destructive, right? Where in other spaces, I'm like, this is the place where you lounge and you hang out and you play with your friends. And it's totally fine for you to be wild in here as long as you're not destructive, right? Have you found that that works with kids in your household or with your clients? Yes and no. I think that that's the perfect way to approach it. And it's a long game, right? It's a long game of teaching them like these things are important to me. Here's why. And here's what happens if we touch them. And here's why my concern is valid. Helping them instill that curiosity, that wonder, that sense of place and meaning. It's very important for kids. But also as parents, we have to recognize that they are just learning. And so if we base our happiness or our worth as parents and our ability to control their behavior, I think we are going to be disappointed Yeah, because they just are learning, right? That's the point of childhood. So while we teach them sacred spaces and we teach them play spaces and we teach them appropriate behavior and rambunctious behavior according to space, when it happens that those lines are crossed, how do we show up? And what's the kind of relationship that we're going to take from that place of mess and destruction and chaos? And are we going to turn it toward connection or are we going to turn it toward conflict? And is the table worth a relationship Yeah. in the end? Yeah, absolutely. It's not worth... Things are just things, right? Even though some things are more precious than Mm -hmm. others, things are just things. And I think some of, I even had, I had a a house cleaner one time. We have a custom made coffee coffee table upstairs that I've talked about before that was made from a tree that used to sit in front of the house here. And we really wanted to bring that into our home. And she was vacuuming and she pulled the vacuum back really fast and chipped off part of the coffee table. And Mm. I was like, (laughs) (laughs) like a piece of me died when the piece of the coffee table came off. Um, And I, she felt terrible. I mean, she just felt so awful about it. And I had to just say, you know what? It's totally fine. We can get it fixed. And it was repairable. It was not that big of a deal. Um, And so you kind of just have to go, why at least John and I talk about this a lot. Why are we creating this home 
if not to make people feel comfortable and make them feel like they can relax and kick off their shoes. Nobody wants to be at home in a museum, Mm -mm. right? No one wants to be welcomed into a museum. And I also want my, my kids' friends to know this is a place where you're welcome. I'm not going to be upset if something breaks. Like, it's okay. Just relax. My home is your home. Mm. What are three your three best tips for parents to kind of meet that harmony? You have a new client who's coming to you who's like, ah, my life is just in dis- disarray and I my home doesn't feel in harmony. What are your three main takeaways? Mm. I think the biggest takeaway is that I teach them the, what I call the intentional house cycle right off the bat. And so this is the process of how your house lives, like how we live in our house. And it has four stages. The first stage is what I call vision. And this is what we imagine when we imagine a beautiful house. When we're looking on Pinterest and we're on Instagram and we're pulling ideas and inspiration, this is where we're at. We're at this vision place. We're imagining our family in this beautiful place surrounded by amazing things that mean something to us. That's great. That's amazing. That's important that we do that. And then around to the next quadrant of the circle is what I call experience. And this is kind of where the rubber hits the road, the function of of a house. This is where you're actually eating breakfast at the actual table with your actual children Mm -hmm. actually in the morning. You know what I mean? Uh, Dressed in their swimsuits or princess dresses (laughs) where you're having real life happen in reality. And then the next phase that we talk about is growth, where something usually uncomfortable happens, where you're feeling that bubbling up inside of you or that like heart wrench of like this thing just got chipped or this is a huge mess or inevitably something goes not according to plan and you have an opportunity for growth. And then as you uh, get your thoughts clear and kind of clean up why you feel the way you do and decide from a clean place how you want to feel and uh, it's always an internal model first before you can take it outside to your house and make changes with your house. But once you're ready to make changes with your house, you go to the next stage of the cycle, which is called elevation. And that's all about deciding what you're going to do with your house and the cues you want to implement and the trigger options you want to have, trigger objects you want to have around to remind you of these thoughts that you've centered up on. Uh, that will then inform a new vision that you create as you go around this cycle another time. So uh, I think it's so important first to know the design cycle. Second, to know that when you're not in vision, it's not bad. When your house is messy, it's not bad. That's only like vision is only one tiny little sliver of the whole cycle. And if we think of the rest of it, the discomfort, the reality, the messes, the laundry, the dishes as um, an improper use of home, then we're setting ourselves up for a lot of feelings of guilt, shame, and more discomfort on top of the discomfort we already feel, right? We can kind of spiral ourselves. Uh, So that's the second thing, that all quadrants are equal in their morality. (laughs) That's a hard one, though, because I'm someone who has a very hard time functioning in disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that I've, I very much have to make a conscious decision sometimes like, okay, what's my priority today? Is my priority the dishes in the sink? Okay, then I'm going to focus on the dishes in the sink and everything else just needs to not be as big of a deal, right? Or is today to put all the clothes away? Right. Like that's a hard thing to let go of because it's so hard for me to stay motivated and feel creative in disorder. It's so hard. It's hard. It's so hard. But if you had the best client in the whole world or like, I don't know, some celebrity walked into your house and was like, 
Jen, I need you to design my house. Can you focus right now? You'd be like, what dishes? I don't care. You yeah. have all of my complete attention. So that tells us that it's really a mind thing, right? It's us choosing to be distracted. It's us choosing to feel like these other things are more of our priority than huh. what we've previously decided is our priority. Oh, that's an interesting way of looking at it. Huh. Okay. And then what's the next one? Oh, then our third thing. So what the first important thing I'd want people to understand is that the intentional house cycle even exists. Second is that all are equal within the design cycle. And the third thing is that if we incorporate imperfection and real life into our design, then we're much less likely to feel like we're doing something wrong. So for every room that I do, we, we incorporate something that's a little bit imperfect. So maybe you leave the chip on your coffee table. And every time you look at it, it's a little trigger reminder to you of like, we live here. Mm-hmm. Everyone is welcome here. And if anybody asks about it, it's a story. Or maybe you incorporate a tree or something from nature that's just naturally very imperfect, that doesn't grow symmetrically, that doesn't grow according to anybody's plan but its own, to remind you that we are growing and living and that imperfection is part of the beauty. That's interesting. What is some of the feedback that you hear from people after they go through this process? Oh, just the other day, I got a text from somebody who was like, well, I used to hang all my bath towels so that the tags go in the back. Like we all kind of do, right? Mm-hmm. You, the trifold, make sure the tags are in the back, make sure it looks good. And she said, after learning this, I've decided that I'm going to hang my tags to the front because every time I see my towels, I want to remember that this house is for me to use and not the other way around. I am the boss of my towels, not the towels, the boss of me. And I make decisions about what I do with my house. That's really interesting. I don't think I could do that. (laughs) That is so great that that is working for her, but I will continue to hang my tags toward the back. It's great. But the fun part is that you just have a choice. So often we don't even think that we have a choice. It's just the way it needs to be in order to be a good person. Okay. So Let's talk about your current living situation and what your plans are. Yes. Okay. So right now we are with my parents. We are living in the basement apartment of my parents' house. And it's been so fun. My kids love seeing their grandma and grandpa. It's been a big blessing. We sold our house uh, with plans to build up in the mountains. My husband's a big fly fisherman. We found his favorite spot on the river. We bought a lot. And we started renovations on a, on a trailer with the intention to live there while we build our house. But in the last couple of years, some things have changed and prices have gone up for building houses mm-hmm. and um, people are moving to this mountain town. And I thought, this isn't as rural as I'm hoping for. What are our other options? So <laughs> what we found was a, it's called the Land Co-op. It's a big branch. I have never heard of a land <laughs> co-op before. <laughs> like Costco's a co-op, you know, Winco's yes. a co-op where you kind of buy into it and you get the benefits of reduced prices for bulk purchasing. I've been, I've been a part of a vegetable co-op before. Yes, yes, yes. Totally. Yes. Okay. Same sort of thing. So this is for land. So we all together buy a big, big piece of land for really cheap. It's in the middle of nowhere again. So it was cheap, but we can have a ranch lifestyle that we all contribute to. But we also have two acres of our own to individually homestead to build our house, to build our barn and our orchards and things like that. So everyone in the co-op benefits from each other, right? So if you're like, I have chickens, then everybody in the co-op, you share your eggs or your chicken. And then somebody else is like, is this how this works? Yep. But it's very um, ownership based. 
So like I would own my chickens and own my eggs, but I would sell them to the co-op. Oh, you'd sell them. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So it's not just like a, a swap. No. No. Everybody buys. Yeah. Okay. Still very individually based and trade kind of oriented. So if somebody had raw milk and I'd be like, trade you a dozen eggs for a gallon of raw milk, then we could work something out just like you would normally. Okay. How many people are in this co-op? There are 250 lots. What? I know. <laughs> Whoa. 250 different families. That's mm-hmm. a lot more than I, I was thinking like six. I was thinking you were going to be like, there's six to 10 families <laughs> up here. 250. That's huge. And it's on about 1500 acres. Oh my gosh. Um, what kind of amenities are close by? Jen, there was nothing close by. There is nothing close by. Nope, nothing so is you're going to be relying a lot on the other families. What do you know about ranching and homesteading? Have you done this before? (laughs) No, we have not. The premise of the whole entire co-op is self-sufficiency. So we were planning on building a passive solar house uh, up in the mountains. But because we're in a city, they require you to be on grid and to kind of have double um, redundancy which is fine and great and perfect. But out here on the co-op, there are, there's no power, there's no sewer, there's no garbage, there's no post. So it's an off-grid house. You have to have your own well, your own septic and uh, create everything that you need. However, you know, like the nearest city is 45 minutes away. It's not like you're not going to run out of toothpaste and not have anywhere to go, but it's like a go into town once a week kind of a thing probably for us. Do you like the other people that you're doing this with? Because what if you don't like your neighbors? Right? I know. We do you spent, know them? We spent a lot of time down there just getting to know the people to make sure like, are these weird people? Who are these kind of people that are out here? Are we like pitchforks and like anti-society? Yeah. I'm what a little, is this? I'm, I'm, I'm picturing like a stockpiling guns and waiting for the end of the world kind of I mentality know, right? a is little bit. Is this like bit? a bug out bunker? What kind of a place is this? Okay. These are a community of retired doctors, a lot of school teachers. I think there's like 15 engineers living down there right now. Chemical engineers, uh, dentists, anesthesiologists, just people who really value the idea of being self-sufficient and having people a community to do it with so you're not just on your own parcel in the middle of another town trying to figure it all out and figure out where you get bulldozers we're pulling all together we buy a big bulldozer and everyone takes turns using it that kind of a thing oh my gosh are there other kids tons of kids tons, tons of, kids. of kids my people my my little people my children they think it's the best thing in the whole entire world they just go want to play with their friends can we go see our friends that have the rabbits when can we go visit our friends that have the chickens so animals dirt and friends my kids are set. <laughs> is this like the place for you guys? This is your forever spot? Is that what you're planning? I think that we're planning for at least 10 years, probably. We want to be able to plant some trees and see it grow, see what we can turn this community into. Is this homeschooling? We definitely are homeschoolers already. Oh, you're already mm-hmm. homeschoolers. So were you yes. homeschoolers pre-pandemic as well? Yeah. Oh, you're like, this is my thing. I'm yeah, a homeschooler. Yeah, we love it. But they're also building a school. So surprisingly to myself, I'm like, oh, well, maybe if we're running the school and it's for a couple hours a day or depending on how it runs, I could send my kids into school without even really a second thought. I do like the idea of a like a one room schoolhouse, you know, where there's like a bunch of kids of different ages and they're all kind of learning at different levels, but all kind of learning together. I've heard of that working really well in in rural areas before. So I wonder if it will be something like that. I do, too. We're off the grid, but we're definitely online. It's a very like high tech kind of community. So there's always 
online stuff for school. So I feel like you could supplement anything with a great mentor that you find online. So are you, you just mentioned you, let's back up to the trailer. You've renovated a trailer. Are you going to take the trailer out there and live in the trailer while you build the house? That is the plan. Oh, you are a different type of woman than I am. (laughs) I cannot live in a trailer. I've heard of people doing that before. And we took one RV trip during the pandemic and the, it was so hot. John was oh, like, no. I can't deal with the hot. Like the rest of it I can deal with, but the hot, I can't oh, yeah. deal with the hot. So you, plus No, it's you. just about good systems. We do not camp like regular people camp. We're not like very much tent and hot people. I'm not that way either. Especially if my kids get fussy and hot and sticky and whatever. No. My, my tolerance for that is low. So our trailer is awesome. There's lots of solar. There's lots of AC. We have a fireplace. We have rugs. A fireplace. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. You you could do our trailer. You can come have a sleepover on the ranch. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I want to see the ranch. This sounds amazing. What kind of, are you thinking animals? Are you thinking large garden? Like what are your, what are you guys going to do? For us, we want to do hydroponic plants. My husband's really excited about getting into hydroponic stuff. So we'll do some hydroponics. I really want chickens, maybe a goat. My kids really want a dog, and I'm okay with that. So that's where we're going to start, and then we'll see what happens after that. That's where you're committing. Yep, that's where we're attempting. That's the step one, I think. <laughs> step and one is going to be getting down there. Let's be honest. Step two will be animals. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. What has been the response from your family, like extended family, when you told them, this is what we're going to do? Oh, my gosh. Uh, off, you know, either side. Uh, my dad is like, how can I get in? Where do I buy? Where wow. do I buy next door? And uh, my mom was like, so are you giving them all your money and your children? Do you have to wear, do you wear clothes down there? <laughs> like she was very like, she was concerned that like it was, yeah. So we, we've gone through a lot of vetting for sure with this whole community, but we've gotten very varied responses. Some people are like, I could never, neither would I want to. And other people are like, I wish I could drop of a hat. I'm there. Yeah. So. You don't want to be like wearing tennis shoes and drinking Kool-Aid and, you know, having right? a weird, having a weird experience. <laughs> we but want to be safe yes, and intentional. We want yeah. to be safe. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm excited for you. When does all this go down? So we just bought our lot a couple weeks ago. So we will start basic renovations. In my mind, I'm not going to move down there until uh, we have our septic and our water and internet and power. Those are my like <laughs> my basics, right? So and then we'll take our trailer down. Are you renovating a house or are you building? A we house? will be building. You will be building. Yep. Well, I'm excited for your adventure. It's going to be an adventure. That is guaranteed. <laughs> That's so interesting. What do you want people to feel when they walk in your home? I want people to feel curious. I think that's the driving invitation I want my home to give to people like, wow, I didn't know this about you or tell me about this piece of art or piece of furniture or what were the kids doing in here? And then I want them to feel curious about themselves of how do I live and how do I want to show up for myself and what do I want on my wall? Because obviously the things on my wall, they couldn't take off and put into their home. It doesn't mean anything to them. Mm -hmm. I want them to ask good questions for themselves so that it becomes uh, their homes, their own homes become manifestations of their own priorities that can surround them with reminders of great thoughts. I love that. I always say uh, to clients, you know, we want to invite the quirk, right? Because 
quirk expresses expresses who you are and also it's conversation starters totally I love you know that. when somebody walks in and they see something and it makes them go huh then it's a conversation starter and it's an opportunity to share something about yourself so i, I love that quirk i'm gonna have to use that That's where can great. people find you i'm online at intentionalhouse.com you can find me on instagram or facebook yeah Okay. And what's your Instagram handle? Uh, Intentional House. Intentional House. Yep. Everywhere. Thank you so much for joining us today. Such a pleasure, Jen. Thank you. It was so nice chatting with you. I'm Jennifer Stagg, and you've been listening to The Heart of the Home. I hope you'll subscribe, review, and rate this podcast, and tune in next episode for more Heart of the Home. Thank you so much for listening.